because I know the Burstons, I've heard a lot about this congregation over the last many years, and I was certainly blessed to have the Turners go with us to Greece as part of the gift I think this congregation gave them for their uh, ministry here, and it was a joy to be with them, and what a blessing it's been to be with uh, Gary and, and Eva. I feel like I've been treated like a king, no pun intended, but... Uh, Having traveled a lot, I really appreciate the diversity in this congregation as well, uh, to see from so many different places of the world. I, I don't know what you see when you see this, but here's what I see. And I saw this six weeks ago when I was in the church in Rome, and a man got up to read the scripture before the sermon, and he read from Romans. A few weeks before that, I was in Nazareth where we lived and worked for five years and we got up and read scriptures and it was from the words of Jesus and Matthew. That 2,000 years later, they're still reading the words of Jesus in Nazareth and they're still reading the letter of Paul in Rome. Does that say anything to you of the power and the depth and the richness of Christianity? The gospel message. And it's because of the story that was read as we partook of the Lord's Supper. That story cuts across languages and tribes and peoples and cultures all over the world and it's been doing it for many, many, many hundreds and thousands of years. And today, we still are making it alive and real. So I hope that your time together this morning as, as we come to worship the Lord together will certainly uh, enrich you. As a teacher and having lived in the Middle East for nine years, uh, one of the things I find that enriches people's lives, as Paul Burson will tell you, is just seeing the land and seeing the sites that uh, where Jesus walked and where Paul walked. And so each year I take two tour groups to Bible lands. This year was Israel and then uh, one to Italy. Next year it will be to uh, in July 1 through 10 to Israel and then in July Ten through twenty to Greece, Ephesus. We'll see a lot of the cities of Paul. If you have any interest in that, just give me your email address. I'll send you a brochure, or you can email ihufford at harding.edu, and we'll be glad to send that send that to you. We find um, several things that happen on these tours. One is always worship with the local Christians, and when we go to the airport in Tel Aviv, I ask people what was the highlight of the tour. And usually in the top three things is worshiping with our Arab Christians in Nazareth, which we do on Sunday. Or this year, we were worshiping with the Christians in Rome. And it is just a blessing to see what God has done in the lives of people all over the world. And you're blessed to be reminded of it every morning as you come together to worship and as you live uh, as a church. What I'd like to do today is encourage you as a disciple of Christ. We are all here because we're disciples of Christ. We are followers of Jesus Christ. And what does that mean? Now, let me give a little bit of my story. I was a missionary kid. I came back to the United States. And by the time I was a junior in the university, my third year in, in the university, I was preaching every Sunday for a local church. Having been on the mission field... I saw people who came to faith in Christ and they were saying yes to Jesus and they were often paying a price for that. They were persecuted by their families. It was not easy to be baptized and follow Christ. This is good. I feel at home. 
You know, one of the things when, we were, when I lived in the Middle East, all the time I was preaching, kids were just walking around all the time. So I love children. So uh, that is not a problem. I'll even hold him the next time he comes up. But one of the things I noticed as I came back to the States is that, that I was working with older sort of rural churches and I had the feeling, and I realized this is going to sound judgmental, but I had the feeling they had said yes to church, but not yes to Christ. And nowadays, the younger generation is flipping that. They're saying yes to Jesus, but no to church. Like they don't need church. We just want Jesus. We want to follow Jesus. Well, if you read scriptures, particularly just read Acts 2, you're going to find that there's only three or four verses between being baptized into Christ and having fellowship with everyone. That it was always God's design that as you became a child of God, as your life was restored in a relationship with God, that you were also, in fact, you had to have a relationship with God's people, which is called a church. But what happened? You know, there's a lot of history, history of churches, particularly in the West and mostly Western here. And it's caused us to sort of separate these two. And I'm going to make as best an effort I can. And my time's already up. I'm supposed to quit now. But I hope you'll give me 15 minutes to make my case. This is a real TED talk at this point. To try to help you see the importance of keeping those two together and being an active participant in the body of Christ. So I'm going to ask some questions. What kind of follower are you? We're followers, we're disciples of Christ, but just generally, what kind of a follower are you? When you look at uh, different things in life, to those who have authority over you, if you teach in a school system, there are those who have authority over you. If you work in an industry, there's always the CEO and CFO and whatever. There's most of us are in situations, there were people who have authority over us. How do we respond or react to that? How do you react to the, within the church to the spiritual gifts of others? You look in Romans 12, and there is just a, 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 probably, I think, the most general and a good list of spiritual gifts. People who teach, people who encourage, people who are generous, people who lead. And I believe that when we exercise the gift God gives us, And others follow those. We're submitting to that spiritual authority of the gift God has given us. It's not ours. It's of God. And we use that for the whole body. How do you respond to the gifts of us? Are we jealous because someone's a better teacher than we are? Or someone's more generous than we are? Or do we let their teaching and their generosity inspire us to do better at what we're doing? Uh, When you look at um, consensus as a group, (laughs) this should be a challenge in a very multicultural group. Because Christianity is affected by culture all over the world. And it's sometimes extremely difficult to make decisions in a church and make everybody happy. Everybody isn't going to be happy. There are going to be decisions made that will not be suitable to your opinion. But can you still be submissive to the consensus of the group and work with it? Or uh, any leader that may be in your life. And the one that... uh, I had Mark, the other, a few years ago, I was helping, we were moving, and I came across the report card from my second grade. <laughs> Obviously, I didn't remember this, but my parents remembered it. The one thing I got marked down is on conduct, he will not listen and follow directions. I mean, I thought I knew what the teacher would know, so I didn't need her directions, I knew it myself. 
You know, sometimes we never grow beyond that. If we're a follower of Jesus, do we need to listen and follow directions? Are we not getting directions from Jesus all the time as we're reading the word, as you read the gospels? Or is he not instructing us and leading us? And we want to listen and follow those directions and trust him and not say, well, I know better than he does. I don't need to do that. There's a way that seems right to men and women, but the end thereof are the ways of death. So being a follower of Christ is not a problem. It is actually a blessing. And I think our assembling together today to worship is certainly a testimony to that blessing. I lived in Nazareth five years, 30 minute drive from the Sea of Galilee. And the Sea of Galilee is my favorite place on all the earth. And I've been around the world several times, but no place is better than the Sea of Galilee. For a lot of reasons. One, it's just a beautiful place and it's the it's the best spot in all the Middle East. Just As a place to be. But the other thing is, this is where Jesus did his three years of ministry. He changed the world in the three years he spent around the northwest corner of the Sea of Galilee. It's incredible what God did through the incarnation of Jesus Christ at that particular point and place in history. And here in Capernaum, where Jesus had his base of his ministry, where Peter's mother-in-law lived and where some of the disciples were from and where he did some of his preaching and the teaching in the synagogue. That's a significant place. History changed because of that. But the biggest change is as he walked around the Sea of Galilee, he would ask disciples to follow him. And many of them immediately left their nets and started following him. And then when you read in Matthew 11, he said, He who ever takes up his cross daily and follows me will be his disciple. What does that mean to take up our cross daily and follow Jesus? I'm going to try to bring it right down to the congregational level if I can. That sounds like it's up here. It sounds good. It's idealistic in some ways, but it's extremely real in all of our lives To take up our cross as disciples of Christ and follow him. And it's not going to be easy. You remember there were times when Jesus said some things and his own apostles, the twelve that were closest, turned to him and said, Lord, who can do that? This is this is tough teaching. Especially in John, when he talks about eating my flesh and drinking my blood, it's like, what are you talking about? And then he turns to some of the disciples and said, will you also leave because this teaching is so difficult? It is not easy. It never has been easy to be a disciple of Christ. But it's the best thing you will ever do on earth is to be a follower of Jesus Christ. In 2004, a researcher studied all, looked, kind of did a content analysis of all of the books on Amazon.com on leading and following and the ratio was 120 to 1. 120 books for every one book. 120 books on leading for every one book on following. The actual numbers were like 79,000 books on leading and 790 books on following. In other words, if I wanted to get rich and write a book, I would never write a book on how to be a good follower. We don't, we'd rather be leaders than followers, if anything. 
So how do we become a good follower? It's not a popular thing to do, especially in our own day and time. Let me just remind you, I don't have time to go into this as much, but there are followers God does not want. If you go to Numbers 14 and Numbers 16, you see what happens after they after the Israelites left Egypt, went into Sinai, started grumbling and complaining. And one day they actually had the nerve to challenge Moses and Aaron and said, let us choose a leader and we will go back to Egypt. We don't need you as a leader, even though God chose you as a leader. We don't need you. We're going to go back. God wasn't very happy with that. God's response was, and this was after the report of this tent of the spies that went into the land. God's response was, you know, ten times you have tested me and this is it. No adult living here today will ever see the promised land. Because you refuse to follow the leader God sent you. Their memory was incredibly short. Two chapters later, in chapter 16, you find Korah and 250 of the leading men of the Israelites come before Moses and say, You have gone too far. We don't need you anymore. The congregation is holy. Every one of them. Boy, I would have, I'd have stepped back because I... I can't imagine how bold that is. Talk about rebellion and unwilling to lead. They thought they actually knew more than Moses, who had been talking with God almost on a regular basis. And says, no, we're holy. Every one of us. The Lord is among us. We don't need you. We're going to find our own leaders. God's response. He told Moses, he said, you tell everybody to stand back and stay away from Korah, his tent and all of his dwellings. Because something's going to happen and the earth opened up and swallowed all of them. That's God's attitude toward people who are not very good followers. It carries over in the New Testament in a little bit different language. In Romans 16, people who are divisive and create obstacles contrary to the teaching that they had. He said, just avoid them. He tells pretty much the same thing to Titus. Here's where I want to connect it to what you do as a church. For the last decade, I've been really struggling with a question. It's a research question. How do you move people to become more actively involved in the body of Christ? It's not easy because you have basically three different kinds of people. You have those who are very passive in their discipleship. They're just passive followers of Christ. And this sort of this outer ring, the P. And then you have those who are active followers of Christ. And then you have leaders. Now, here's how I define the boundaries between them. A passive follower of Jesus is a disciple who's been baptized, washed away their sins, and they may actually attend worship with some regularity one hour a week. And if you were to ask them, are you an active member of such and such a church? They would say, yes, I'm there all the time. I even know the name of a preacher. Or I even know one of the elders or something. But no one else knows them. They're not involved in anything else. They don't go to Bible study. They're not involved in the activities you have or a mission trip or teaching or, or anything. They're passive. They're really passive. Then there are those who are active followers. Those are people who've been baptized. They attend worship regularly, but they use the gift God has given them in at least one area of ministry. 
in at least one area. I mean, it may be putting chairs up or counting on Sunday. I don't care what it is. But they're actively involved in at least one, one thing that they do for the sake of the kingdom of God. They're serving in some way. It doesn't matter which country you're from. It doesn't matter how old you are. There's something that all of us can do in the body of Christ. Believe me. There is a lot that all of us can do. I think it's sad that if your relationship to the church is one hour a week, you may think that the only service in the church is what's done publicly right up here. You know, waiting on the table, leading singing, or publicly speaking. Do you realize how minor that is in the whole scope of things? Given how much care has been shown to those who've been sick this week or those who have had small groups in their home or have had fellowship with others who have called and cared for others and a host of things that make the church the family it is so that it's, it's significant when someone leaves. You will miss them. Not because they set five rows back from you. You miss them because you've had an interaction. You've given and take. You've been there for them when they've struggled and they've been there for you when you've struggled. You love their kids and they love your kids and you have this kind of relationship. And you care for each other. That was always God's design. That's why we're called a family. That's why in the kingdom of God, we call each other brothers and sisters. We don't call each other cousins. If you're a passive member, then most of the people here are just your cousins. If you're an active member, they become your brothers and sisters. Some of you know what I'm talking about. And then there are leaders. And I hope all of you deeply appreciate the leaders within this congregation. And here's how I define the leaders. The leaders are active members. They're doing all the things active members are doing. But they go one step further and they take responsibility for a, a ministry. They take responsibility for caring for the poor or CR or Sunday school teaching or caring for people who are shut in, whatever it is. They will take responsibility for it. And there you can t- you can see from them what cross they're bearing daily. It is a price you pay to lead in the kingdom of God. It costs to do that. So you take up your cross daily and follow me. You're actively involved in that. In the church, in the body of Christ. There's also something very different about those who lead and those who are active followers. Leaders have to know how to manage conflict and cope with criticism. They have to know how to manage conflict and cope with criticism. If you're, my experience has been in churches, most criticism comes from passive followers. Active followers see what others are doing and they're empathetic to the sacrifice and the work that leaders give and do. And the least they can do is support them, not criticize them. But that's okay. As a leader, you do not serve because you're criticized or not. You serve because that's what God has called you to do. You don't do it because it's easy. You do it because it's the right thing. Aren't you glad I'm out of time so I don't have to go around the room and say, okay, which one of these are you? Where are you on the map? Where do you want to be? And that's a concern. How do I move people 
How do we all do that? How do we move people from from passive to active and active to leaders? I hope that you go away today committed to at least growing in one of these areas. And here's the reason why. Do you see that big red N? Who's that? These are the people that know you who are not here. This is the sphere of influence that everybody in this church has. There's at least 400, 500 people out there that know the people sitting right here this morning. And you have influence on them. Those are your future brothers and sisters. But what happens when (coughs) in a church of 200, typically 20% do 80% of the work? That's 40 people who are leaders. When you are down to that, you know what happens? It takes all the energy of the leaders to maintain, to keep the ship afloat. And they really can't do what needs to be done to seek and save the lost, the end. But when passive members step up and become active members and active members become more and more leaders, then those who really have the passion and gift to seek and save the lost can get out there and do that. And guess what? Churches start growing. And it's not because of just numbers. It's because of an increase in commitment and followership. All of this is about becoming better disciples of Christ. Because you remember he said, follow me and I will make you fishers of men. Follow me and we will be able to bless the inn. That's why you're here. I realize many of you may have not even grown up in this community. And this church is here as a blessing to you. It's your spiritual home away from home. And that's fine. But just remember, this church is not here just for you. This church is here for others who don't even know God yet. That's why it's really here. It's only a blessing that God is in your life through this church. But you want to use what God has given you to honor Him. I'm going to have to do the teacher thing and give four points, four ways. Don't have time to expand it. But if you want to move, if you want to go from passive to active, active to leaders, here are things you're going to be working with. One is keep submitting to God. If you submit to God, you'll find that the spirit will lead you where you don't want to go when you don't want to go there. Ask any leader in the Bible. If you follow him, he will lead you where you don't want to go when you don't want to go there. So you're going to start by submitting to God and doing his will. Secondly, you're going to use your gifts in at least one area. You know what your spiritual gift is and you're going to be using it. This is the responsibility God has given you. It doesn't matter what language you speak, where you're from, whatever. You have gifts that need to be used in this church. And thirdly, you're going to submit to one another. You know, I live south of the border. And I think Ephesians 521 is the most un-American verse in the whole Bible. Submit to one another out of reverence to Christ. We're not going to submit to anybody. But in the kingdom of God, it's different. We submit to one another out of reverence to Christ. And number four, we seek to maintain the unity of the spirit in the bond of peace. We make every effort to do that. Passive members do not contribute to unity. Active members and leaders continue to contribute to the unity of the body of Christ. And that's a part of the witness of Christ. Now, as I keep studying this, I keep thinking, what are the obstacles from people moving from passive to active and from active to leaders? What are those obstacles? Let me just show you three of them. 
Probably one of them is one you may be struggling with and you want to pray about it this week. The first one in, in our world, in the Western world, and um, I travel all over the world. This is a map of places I've been in the last 20 years of churches. These, these are not sightseeing. These are churches I've had to work with and had the opportunity to work with all over the world. And I've observed this. Every culture corrupts what it means to lead and follow in different ways. Every culture has its own way to corrupt what it means to be a follower of Christ. And in our Western world, the number one thing is individualism. Individual. We teach people to be individualistic, do your own thing. It's nobody's business. It's not. Haven't you heard that? Have you felt it? That will keep you from fellowship if you keep thinking it's nobody's business. That was not the way God designed it. It's all God's business and we want God's people in our life to help us do what's right, what's best. A second problem is consumerism. Uh, This is something that we address all day, every day. When we have coffee on every corner, when we can get groceries whenever we need them, when we can get everything. What keeps you from coming here as a consumer? Passive followers are consumers. This church, we, we view the church as just here. What do I get from this church? Does it give me a Bible class to have a good teacher, to have good singing? You know, it's, it's like, what do I get from it? And that's not the way God has designed it. We're here to give. And in the giving, we are blessed. But all during the week, you are trained and taught how to be a consumer. And it's hard to leave it in the parking lot. And the third problem, and it may be the most common one, is sin. Just outright pride. The sin of pride, assuming I always know what is best. Well, as you look at the shores of the Sea of Galilee, can you hear Jesus say to you today, follow me and I will make you fishers of men. Or I want to read and conclude from Matthew chapter 10. And whoever does not take up his cross and follow me is not worthy of me. Whoever finds his life will lose it. And whoever loses his life for my sake will find it. Ask anyone who's been a leader in the kingdom of God and you'll find that while they thought they were giving themselves away, they thought they were dying to things that were special to them. And God turned out blessing them with more than they ever gave. You cannot outgive God. May God bless the reading and study of his word today.